Okay, welcome to Mad Dogs and Englishmen. This is Kevin Williamson here with Charlie Cook, who disagrees with me about something, so we're going to fight it out. Go, Charlie. Well, I disagree with you on a, on a very minor point relating to your post this morning. I think probably it would be best if you just quickly summed up the point that you're making, and then I, I can disagree with it, otherwise we're, we're in a vacuum. Uh, okay, so uh, a couple of weekends ago, I wrote a piece in Politico about Rand Paul, and they had asked me the question of whether I thought his libertarianism was a net benefit for him politically or a net uh, liability for him politically. And I came out with my usual cynical view, which is that people don't really want freedom and they don't really want small government. And they talk about it in nice terms to pollsters, but then when you ask them specific questions like should we reform entitlements by either raising taxes or cutting benefits, they say no to both. So there's uh, uh, support for uh, fiscal discipline and such things in the abstract, but when you start talking about the actual things that are necessary to make that happen, people start to cringe. And so I think that as much as I admire Rand Paul and uh, as much as I share most of his views, I think that um, if those views were really more popular, then people would be voting for more libertarian sort of candidates, but they're not. So uh, Nick Gillespie, my friend over at Reason Magazine, uh, took to his column in the Daily Beast to uh, criticize me for this, and Nick and I have been having a little back and forth on that. And my general view here has been, uh, as I said before, that if these views were really the views of the American public, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in in the first place because they'd be voting for better candidates. But they don't, and that's because they actually kind of like redistribution and welfare and uh, big government and all that stuff. And somewhere in there was something you disapproved of. Yes, and it's a very small thing because I agree with everything that you've just said. The, the one thing that I think is slightly overstated, um, I'm going to read this. You write um, that those libertarians who want to advance their cause through the ballot box should join forces with the Republican Party, which is their only available avenue of political progress. Mm. Nick can't abide the rights alleged Bible thumpers unless said biblioplangists bear the surname Paul, but they are and have long been among the best friends the cause of limited government has. And then you go on to point out, and I think very... Uh, rightly, that uh, you know you'll get legal marijuana possibly if the left and the libertarians uh, team up. But then you'll also have a fight about federal subsidies for marijuana farmers, establishing a new federal marijuana regulatory agency, organic marijuana labeling rules, and so on and so forth. And you conclude you know, pot's, pot's going to be a lot less fun once the USDA gets a hold of it. Right, and I, and I think that's a great insight. And and similarly, at the end, you say many libertarians cringe at the idea that their natural political home is the Republican Party and the conservative movement, but it is. Now, as a general rule, I think that you're absolutely right on that. And I think that's increasingly so. Um, it would be begging the question a little to say, especially as the Republican Party becomes more libertarian, but I think more to the point, the Democratic Party has moved reasonably holistically away from the libertarian standpoint, almost to the point at which they are now um, active libertines in a number of areas and wish everybody else to be as well. And libertarianism and libertinism, although they're conflated, very often are, of course, not the same thing. My only objection to you is that when I weight the importance of various issues in my philosophy, my, I suppose, adherence to, I can't vote, and I, I'm willing to criticize it as much as I can, but my adherence to the 
Republican Party over the Democratic Party is reasonably easy. I mean, my problems with the Republican Party are many. I think they're wrong on drugs. Personally, I'm in favor of gay marriage at the state level, and I think that they can be insensitive in their language. But when it comes to issues that I really care about, free speech and guns and taxes and federalism, there are hypocrisies in that, but it doesn't particularly uh, bother me day to day. I would be happy to work within that organization and that conservative movement to change it. But there are an awful lot of libertarians who don't think like that. And it's just worth pointing out that, you know, when I say to libertarians what you've said, I think you belong in the Republican Party, even if it's to try and change it, they would say, well, I can't because of, say, foreign policy. And I don't just mean recent foreign policy. I mean a strong national defense. I mean drones. I mean a lot of things that conservatives and Republicans are unlikely, and Americans, in fact, are unlikely to change on. A lot of people really, really, really care about drugs in the libertarian movement, too much, in, in my opinion. So it's just a minor quibble, but there are, I, I think there is a significant number of people within the libertarian movement who care a lot more about the distinction than maybe you acknowledged. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, you know, we talked about this a lot here, uh, you know, not just you and you and I, but people at National Review about the question of the relationship to between what we call libertarianism and what we call conservatism. And the two things are not synonymous. You know, Nick Gillespie is anything but a conservative, although he and I agree on a lot of things, and I think of myself as a conservative. I think the argument I would make there is that libertarianism and conservatism are compatible. Yes. Whereas libertarianism and whatever we want to call the doctrine generally associated with the left these days, progressivism, leftism, socialism, whatever you want to call it, just aren't. Um, so... You know, I think that if you're a pretty hardcore libertarian type, but you're really more interested in what we call the social issues, although I object to that term, things like gay marriage and drug legalization and things like that, you can still make common cause with the Republican Party and with the conservative movement because it does contain people like, say, Rand Paul and Mike Lee and uh, Ted Cruz to some extent and people like that. But there aren't really that many people on the left you can make common cause with because even though they may share some incidental things, you know, some final bottom line policy things on things like gay marriage or drug legalization, their basic principles are not only incompatible with yours, but hostile to yours. Yes. You know, even their their argument about things like gay marriage is not really based on any sort of philosophy of individualism, uh, but really on a you know a collectivist view of corporate rights uh, belonging to uh, to gay people. So, yeah, you're going to have a hard time. And of course, the Republicans can make it a lot harder, you know, because there are some you know fairly anti-libertarian figures in the party, guys like Sam. Torum, who I personally like, but I disagree with a lot of his uh, politics. Mike Huckabee, who uh, everyone I know who knows him says he's a great guy, but if you just look at his policies and his thoughts about economics particularly, he's just, you know, it would be very difficult for me to support a guy like that. Uh, so that there are figures like that, but I think that, um, you know, if if you think that electoral action is the way to go, and I have some doubts about whether that's really the case, about how much good can really be done through through elections and voting and that sort of thing. But if you think that's the case, you've got, you know, a pretty reasonable 
reasonably broad theater of operation within what we generally call the right and the Republican Party, whereas you would have almost almost nothing on the other side. And then the, the broader question then, of course, is that if you want to rehabilitate one of these parties and sort of remake it in your own image, according to your own preferences, but do you really think you do that with a Democratic Party, which is made up of, you know, welfare recipients, felons, public employees, elected officials, and union members? You know, good luck with that, people who hate everything you stand for. So, you know, a lot of the sort of socially oriented libertarians talk about, you know, as Nick put it, these Bible thumpers and things like that. But most Bible thumpers are actually pretty good on questions of liberty. They um, are. And I, I have a, a lot of time on this question for Ramesh, yeah. who points out that religion is a great block against government most of the time. If you believe in a thriving civil society and you believe in competitors to the state, then you want people who believe that, you know, they will to an extent give unto Caesar what is Caesar, <laughs> but not everything unto Caesar. There is another claim on their time and on their consciences and on their souls. And I suppose one area, uh, again, where I agree with you, certainly in terms of building coalitions, is that you get a few, uh, maybe there is a handful of people who are really on the left who like to say they're libertarians. Noam Chomsky is one of them, and Bill Maher is another one. I don't consider either of those people to be remotely libertarian. I'm not even but, sure Bill Maher knows what the word means. Right. I think it means he's in favor, I think he thinks it means he's in favor of, of legal weed, if I'm honest. Yeah. But generally speaking, I mean, internally, I struggle a lot with whether I'm a libertarian or a conservative because I really like Burke. And I think libertarians can sometimes become unmoored from history and unmoored, frankly, from reality. And my experience is that an awful lot of conservatives behave like that. If you just scroll through Twitter or bios on conservative websites or you just sit and talk to people over a beer at the NRA convention um, or at national review events, they have a phrase that comes up a lot. They'll say, well, when I'm around conservatives, I feel like a libertarian. And when I'm around libertarians, I feel like a conservative. Or there's the word conservatarian, which is becoming yeah. increasingly popular. Now, I think I know someone who's writing a book on that subject. Yeah. <laughs> now, you don't see that uh, dual personality really on the left. And in fact, I've noticed of late that libertarian has become... A dirty word it is thrown often with witless comments such as well do you wish to be like Somalia there's your libertarian paradise or I suppose then you're against road schools and firefighters but you're a libertarian you're a disgraceful selfish libertarian it's not something many conservatives are going to say and you are right to imply that yeah, that is something you hear on the left now I think it was Matt Welch who a couple of weeks ago did a wonderful little piece where he just listed every uh, salon and alternate headline containing the word libertarian. <laughs> it was uh, kind of hilarious. But I think as a practical matter, even though I understand that debate on the right, as a practical matter, there's not that much difference. You know, I made the point in my post about Nick that if we could achieve everything that Nick and I agreed on and then ended up at the end of that having a fight about my libertarian case against abortion and his uh, libertarian reasons for being pro-choice, we would have had the best year for for uh, you know the the uh, movement for liberty in a long, long time. But beyond that, if you could take you know an absolute anarchist like David Friedman 
and achieve all the things that he agrees on with someone like Ramesh, who's the kind of conservative that a lot of libertarians don't like, you would still end up with you know a, a great, great uh, advancement for the cause of liberty. And this is something I, I often think about because you know if if you've read my book or you know my thinking on this sort of stuff. I have what a lot of people consider some crazy ideas about how much government you need and what we can actually do through the private sector. And I, and I question whether we really need any of it at all. On the other hand, you have these you know, sort of more traditionally conservative Tea Party types. And what they're always arguing for is we need to go back to government as it was actually understood at the time the Constitution was ratified and enumerated powers under the Tenth Amendment and, and, all, that, and, and all that sort of stuff. And if you look at it, their vision of returning to, you know, actual 18th century constitutional arrangements is much more radical than anything I've ever proposed. And in some ways, uh, more more libertarian than even, you know, my kind of more self-consciously libertarian take on things. So I think that, um, yeah, there are some differences, and those differences have to do with philosophy and first principles and those kinds of things. But if we ever arrive at the point where the sort of constitutional conservatives and the more you know, self-conscious libertarians and and kind of anti-conservative libertarians like Nick. If we ever arrive at the point where we've achieved everything they agree on and we're fighting over what they disagree on, it's going to be a very, very different sort of world and something that's going to be, you know, successful and free wildly beyond anything I've ever dared to hope for. Yeah, I was just thinking when you when you mentioned what would be left, uh, what would be left? I mean, you'd probably have, if it's sort of Ramesh and David Friedman, you would have drugs, foreign policy, the size of the military, abortion, and the child tax credit. Yeah, basically, and Ramesh really cares about the child tax credit. Um, actually, I don't think Ramesh is that far away on the drug legalization and things like that, is he? Um, well, I doubt that Ramesh would legalize heroin. I guess we should give Ramesh on the phone and ask him. But yeah, you're probably right about that. You're we should ask right him. That. You know, the other thing that, that just amused me, you described yourself as being uh, perceived as crazy in some ways. I, I read a great quip, and I forget who wrote it, maybe 10 years ago when I started being interested in politics, from a libertarian. And they said, it's funny, if you believe that the government should intervene at home but not abroad, you're on the left. And if you believe that the government should intervene abroad but not at home you're on the right and if you believe that the government should intervene in both you're a moderate but if you think they should do neither then you're an extremist <laughs> yeah there is uh there is something to that and of course people uh people don't think through things too carefully because um you know there's so much just emotional reflexivity in uh in politics as our friend slash nemesis stephen colbert is discovering in a hard way Yes, well, Stephen Colbert went uh, his Twitter feed, or rather the Twitter feed of his show, which he seems, incidentally, to have uh, pretended is not anything to do with him, even though it has a verified mark and has a million followers and relates to his show. And the joke that he put up was quoting from a show that he made. But anyway, that's a digression. He took to Twitter last night, or his, his people took to Twitter last night, and they cited a joke uh, from one of his early shows, I think in 2005. They were mocking the promise of the Washington Redskins owner to set up a scholarship fund or uh, charity that would help Native Americans. And the joke was basically... Uh, <laughs> 
Colbert said that uh, he will, if he offends Asians, whatever, he's going to set up the Ching Chong Ding Dong, uh, you know, fund to help for them. for Orientals or whatever for Orientals or whatever. Yes, I, d- I don't have it in front of me, and this <laughs> unleashed uh, a bit of a firestorm among the sort of progressives who use words like otherizing and microaggressions and whitesplaining and mansplaining and power structures, uh, led by one Sui Park, who Dave Weigel rather dryly refers to as a hashtag warrior. She was involved in some equally silly spat about a year ago. And uh, she tried to get Colbert, successfully tried to get Colbert to remove it. And... uh, invited an awful lot of mockery. And it just struck me that she wasn't... I mean, don't get me wrong, it would have been utterly preposterous, even if she'd just done this, but she wasn't trying to educate Colbert in that whiny way you hear from the left. I just want you to know what you've done. She wanted his show cancelled. I mean, her hashtag fight was cancel Colbert. She wanted him taken off the air because a satirist made a joke that she didn't like. And this does feed into our other conversation because I can't imagine a libertarian thinking like that. Can you? Uh, no, I can't. You know, the thing that people don't get, you know, as we talked about a little bit, I've, I've written a lot about uh, John Stewart recently and, and to a lesser extent about Colbert, who I think is actually funnier. Much funnier. But, but the whole thing about Colbert is, of course, that he plays a character, and the character he plays is a caricature of us, or I guess really more like Bill O'Reilly and the sort of, you know, TV uh, conservatives. So to have this fake conservative character go out and make this, you know, horribly insensitive comment, well, that's kind of his stock in trade. I mean, that's kind of the standing Colbert approach to making a joke. And uh, so it's not as though he were even in some sort of offhanded way uh, endorsing these sort of, you know, insensitive Chong no. Oriental whatever sentiments, but lampooning them. And it's a little bit about, I mean, not to inflate the cultural importance of Stephen Colbert, but it's a little like these fights we have every couple of years ago about the works, every couple of years about the works of Mark Twain, in which he uses certain uh, racist language and puts racist sentiments in the mouths of people. It's not because Twain obviously had those views, but because Twain wanted to write about people who have those views and to uh, some extent satirize them and to uh, some extent... uh, you know, try to criticize them. And for whatever Colbert does, this is obviously, you know, his shtick too. This is his approach to things. And you have to be not only utterly humorless to uh, want him banned for doing this, but you also have to be kind of thick, I think, because you're not quite getting the joke. No, but they don't care. It was pointed out to them very quickly, of course, that hashtag was hijacked by reasonably amusing people mocking it but they didn't care the response of the more articulate of the silly people was yes but we still had to see the words yes but the underlying joke was still that that's what chinese people sound like Mm. and and it it strikes me that this is exactly the same debate as creating gun shapes with pop tarts (laughs) This notion that intent doesn't matter and that the very existence of a particular word 
or of a particular phrase or of a particular piece of satire or of the shape of what is an inanimate object when it's real but is totally useless when it's a Pop-Tart is inherently offensive and, and must be stopped. Um, and there were a huge number of people uh, to the extent that this was actually a big flap and not just a Twitter spat, but a huge number of people making the case that he was just using his satire as an excuse to be racist. Right. As if Stephen Colbert is sitting around thinking, well, how can I take a shot at Asian people? I know I'll dress it up in a character that I've been doing for almost 10 years, and then nobody will notice. Right. And really, and if you want the opportunity to give an angry anti-Chinese speech, what you need to do is get yourself invited to speak at the Democratic National Convention. Because I went there in 2012, and I was shocked at the number uh, and the intensity of anti-Asian invective uh, that was coming from the stage there, mostly having to do with you know, these wicked Chinese people who want to sell us goods and services. And that was all sort of embarrassing. But I think your comparison with the Pop-Tart thing is is good and useful, and especially when you consider that biting a Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun is really kind of a lot of work. <laughs> but, but if they sold Pop-Tarts that already came shaped like an AR, who would buy them? You and me, that too. Uh, we would, we would. Well, George Will said that you can ban anything you like and try and change the behavior of children and society in all sorts of clever ways. But the first thing that a small boy will do when you put a rubber duck in his bath is turn it upside down, hold it by the head and say, bang. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. And with that, I guess we'll talk again on Monday. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Take care.